Aperture, a space through which light passes in an optical or photographic instrument, especially variable opening by which light enters a camera. Lana Garland is Aperture. I met her first officially to be interviewed around why protecting black genius of our children is holy work. Lana moves, speaks, changes, and dances with powerful easiness and grace. She's also a Leo from Philly, so don't let this move taste fool you. I think Lana has been able to move in and out of portals and through alchemic power stories with her camera and her lens as a tall, brown, and sure person because she's Aperture. She loves everything about us, but has a particular predilection for the most base parts of Blackness. The parts of people that we step over, the parts that we don't want to see. She sees the value in those parts that are jagged and rough, but are full of magic and joy. And she uses her spyglass to cut through the BS without destroying the integrity of what is. My name is Omi Shade Bernie Scott, and this is the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. And I want to introduce to you Lana Garland. Hey, Lana. Hey, Omi. How you doing? I'm good. How are you, sis? <laughs> good i'm so excited about this interview i'm so excited because we're both fire signs mm -hmm. and i think that fire signs move in the world in ways that it's exciting mm -hmm. it's warming and also it's a little frightening for folks right? right i think sometimes folks are just like uh, what the hell is that and for us <laughs> well yeah it's frightening for us too because we have to like learn how to manage our own fire right and not be afraid of it right so i'm appreciative of being in space with another fire woman Likewise. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Cool, cool, cool. So you and I had some conversation about what this conversation could be like. Right. And you shared some really sweet things with me. So I, I want to kick us off with a question that I think will resonate with you. Who were the Philly crones in your life as a child that influenced your love of black women at their most basic level? Well, it definitely would have to start with Mildred Cornelia Garland, mm -hmm. my mother, mm -hmm. otherwise known as Basis. <laughs> Basis? Basis. Okay. So you don't say baby sis, mm -hmm. you say Basis. Basis. Got it, got it. And so, you know, that's the woman I come from. And with a name like Basis, you got to keep it real, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know. So she set me up for music. She set me up for dance. She set me up for spirituality. Mm -hmm. She set me up for being a woman who was also vulnerable in her power. Mm -hmm. And then her sister, my Aunt Riri. Mm, I remember um, us talking about Aunt Riri. Say more about Aunt Riri. Aunt Riri was my girl. She was my aunt. I would love, like, oh, mama, can I spend the night? Can mm -hmm. I spend the night over at Aunt Riri's? Mm -hmm. And we wanted to spend the night because she was the fun one. She was the dope one. Mm -hmm. She had all the music. We mm -hmm. would dance with her. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, in her spare time, actually, you know what? She was known for breaking up the gangs in Philly. Mm. So they were gang warring in Germantown, mm -hmm. uh, Germantown neighborhood in Philadelphia at the time. This was early 70s. And she was the only woman out there, and she was the only woman who could break the yeah. the gang violence yeah. up. And they respected that. And they respected that. Yeah. 
and the way she moved through the world. I mean, growing up as a child in the 70s, you had yeah. these these women with afros like Angela Davis yeah. and Foxy Brown. Yes, and, yes, yes. And Aunt Riri was the woman. We had a um, we have a tradition of the color guards. Mm-hmm in black communities in Philadelphia. Well, say so say more about what that is. What does that look like? Is that like New Orleans style second line? Is it like a, it's performative? What it's performative. It's almost like a drum line ah, without okay. the drums. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of uh, musicianship. You know, there are instruments, mm-hmm. but by and large, it's a lot of people marching down the street. Mm-hmm. And so the color guards would march down Germantown Avenue. Mm-hmm. And my Aunt Riri, and they have that traditional kind of band uniforms. Sure. However, my Aunt Riri <laughs> would march down barefoot mm-hmm. in an orange bikini. Come on, come on, Aunt Riri in the orange bikini. Yes. High stepping. People loved her. Yeah. People did not know what to make of her. But my mother told me that she was actually a savant, a musical Mm -hmm. savant. Mm -hmm. She could get on the piano and play any song. She played like multiple instruments. Mm -hmm. And so, however, before she got into the school for gifted children, she ended up getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so that changed the course of her life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So those are the women I come from. Mm-hmm. On my father's side of the family, I had 10 aunties oh who were gosh. all mm-hmm. just fabulous and nurturing and wonderful mm-hmm. in their own right. So mm-hmm. I grew up around some really, really, really deep crones who mm-hmm. went on to evolve over time. At some point, you know, they would get into different things at different moments in their lives, sure. like Egyptology. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, just uh, discovering the roots of blackness. Yeah. And so they would share that with me and pull me into uh, all of these things. Yeah. And um, I grew up kind of being known as one of the more radical mm-hmm. of the children of the family. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because of them. Mm. I remember us saying or talking about the fact that you love black folk at our most basic level like Mm -hmm. you know there are people who love black folk Mm -hmm. but they don't have a tolerance for all of our blackness right right? so it's like okay well i like high browness Mm -hmm. i love the intellectual i love the artist and Mm -hmm. you like i love black folk at our real basic raw level yeah can you say more about like how your mom and Aunt Riri and these other black women in your family invited you to be like, I'm going to fall in love with the most basic parts of us. Mm. Mm. Yeah, there's something there for me that, and it's not, it's 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 not base from a good versus bad mm-hmm. uh, type of perspective, but base from the from the standpoint of the baseline of the human experience. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is that you had to bring all that you had to bear. They were expecting me to show up in a certain kind of way mm-hmm. through the lens of the Black experience. Mm-hmm. So when we're sitting at the kitchen table and they'd start a song, mm-hmm. the change, oh, a change has come over me. Baby, pick up the next line and 
Jump yes, in, baby. Jump in. Jump in. Oh, my God. They would have put me away from the table because I can't carry a tune in the bucket. They'd be like, everybody can sing except for Billy. You're good. <laughs> you fake it. You, you just, just have to fake it. And and that's the thing. Your yeah. level of expression is your level of expression. No doubt. No just doubt. do it, baby. Yeah, that's all it. we want you to do. Uh-huh. They'd be like, I sing that song all off key. Go yeah. Ahead and get it. Get yeah. It. <laughs> Even I remember dancing and they made me dance. I must have been about five years old, uh, but it was like the funky Broadway was out then. Yeah. I remember I did it. They made me do it for so long that mm-hmm. I, I literally passed out. I passed <laughs> out doing the funky Broadway. you know and so and so those types of experiences it just brought me closer to my family Mm. and and it was a way in which to celebrate each other it was a way in which for me to come into my full expression if I had my druthers Mm -hmm. I'd be sitting in the back room just Mm -hmm. kind of observing I guess that's why I shoot for a living Mm -hmm. but give me a reason to be in front, and mm-hmm. I'll be in front. And mm-hmm. usually that reason has to do with advocating, usually for young black people. Sure. That will get me up. Sure. I'll get off the couch for that. Sure. But that's not my normal. Mm-hmm. And so my family allowed me to experience the beautiful parts of blackness mm-hmm. that that resonate through mm-hmm. us, that make us different from mm-hmm. other folk. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't understand people who say, oh, I, you know, there are other black people who say, I I dance like a white girl. Mm-hmm. It's like, why? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. Why aren't you giving yourself the mm-hmm. gift of your people? Mm-hmm. Or I can't sing. Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. Just sing. Just sing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember my mom... My sister and I were trying to teach my mom how to do the rock. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to teach her how to do the rock to that whisper song, Rock Steady. Mm-hmm. Was it that? You be in the rock. Mm-hmm. Steady. Yep. Steady rocking all night long. That's it. That's it. So we were, we, were, we were trying to teach my mom how to rock. And my mother, her rhythm was her own. Mm-hmm. It wasn't always in concert with whatever song that was on. And she did not care and I remember my sister and I we were living in Maryland so we were in the basement of our house and I got in the front and my sister Georgette got in the back and we held hands and we we're like all right mommy get in the middle we're gonna teach you how to rock and we were trying to teach her just how to sway uh-huh. to this song and also like if she wanted to she could double rock it right right which was way too much oh. and so we were like okay you ready and she was like go ahead and we would do it with her and she with us she was doing it right with our rhythm uh-huh and we said okay we're gonna let you go and we put the song back on and she would just glide to her own rhythm that was not actually in harmony with the other rhythm and she would be thrilled. I got it. I'm doing it. I got it. We were like, that's not the rhythm. What is wrong with you? And she was like, I feel like I'm doing a great job. Right. We were like, okay, Mary Bernie. But she was very pleased with her own body. She was very pleased with the way her body was swayed to the music, how she heard it. Right. And my sister and I were we were horrified. We were just like, Mommy, don't please don't do that in public. She said, I am. Yeah. I'm gonna do it in public and I'm gonna have a good time. Right. And I love this idea of like just dance. Don't don't even say that I'm dancing like a white girl or I can't sing. It's like, you know what, just do it because it's the fullest expression 
of yourself. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Those are the tools that we've been given mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to to survive this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you got to use it all. Mm-hmm. You got to use it all. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when I think about your mom, I think about those other people who kind of just didn't fit in a certain kind of way yeah. within blackness. But when I talk about basic black, there's also room for that as well. Yeah. And the beauty of that is to, especially early on when, when children go through that and seeing that morph into something that is an expression yeah. that you could never, ever, you, you would have never known that that weirdness turned into prints. No doubt. You know what I mean? No doubt. So it's so very necessary that we allow that basic black expression to come through in the way in which it needs to come it through. It needs to come through. I love that. Well, that actually mm-hmm. kind of leads me to my next question around shape-shifting. Because mm-hmm. um, you've shared with me the different ways that you've held creative space mm-hmm. from behind the lens, mm-hmm. in the production space, kind of the almost like the mad scientist space of like, ah, what would it look like if we put this ingredient and this ingredient together and that no one would see you behind the screen mm-hmm. making that possible, mm-hmm. but if you absolutely had your hands in it. Yeah. I'm wondering how shape-shifting or even the mask that you were clear you were putting on mm-hmm. um, allowed you to have what I call a black girl passport that gave you access to, to like spaces and rooms and portals without losing yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think early on, my mother thought it was very, very necessary for me to know how to shapeshift mm-hmm. uh, for my own safety. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a mixed neighborhood, so there were certain parts of that neighborhood when you go there, I had to learn how to render myself invisible. Mm -hmm. Toni Morrison talks about that in jazz. One of her Mm -hmm. characters does that. Mm -hmm. And I understand exactly what that meant. It's like being able to go undetected from people who would do you harm, particularly men at that point. And so my mother taught me that skill. And so that's where the shape-shifting started. Then I used it at other times when I went to, you know, an all-girls school that was about 40% black, 60% white, Mm -hmm. and just knowing how to have that conversation in the midst of my growing up a a poor girl Mm -hmm. in a black neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but amongst the people that I hung with, you know, I was the type I could go down to the part of the school where the girls who smoke weed were smoking weed Mm -hmm. and then go to the part where, and you're like this too, Mm -hmm. go to the part where the really smart brainy ones Mm -hmm. were, go to the part where the bougie ones Mm -hmm. were. So Mm -hmm. I I forced myself to Mm -hmm. learn how to fit in Mm -hmm. in those kinds of ways. Mm -hmm. However, at a certain point, that's a detriment. Yeah. In that when you've learned how to protect yourself in that way, when you try to become invisible, people aren't going to see you right away. Yeah. And so I struggled with being seen in my authentic self. And, and then I didn't understand, you know, people wanted me to show up in a, in a particular kind of way. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn the way of showing up that was comfortable for me. Mm-hmm. And so at this point, I've learned the lane that I'm in. Mm-hmm. And I know that, you know, for, for a long time, because I'm a black woman of a certain age that could speak the king's English, mm-hmm. they wanted me to be kind of like um, 
a media mogul kind of and so they put me on that path yeah that fast track yeah yeah that's not who i was Mm -hmm. and who who i know myself to be Mm -hmm. i need to be with the people Mm -hmm. i need to be I need to be with my family. Mm-hmm. I need to be with people like that. Mm-hmm. They keep me honest. Mm-hmm. They make me happy. They give me joy. Mm-hmm. They teach me so much. Yeah. And so I know that now so that when it comes to me, even now, yeah. you know, when people are, well, why don't you go and fill that role? It's like, that's not my lane. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's been really good to understand what my lane is. How long have you been working in film and documentary work? Let's see, I guess since 91. Mm-hmm. That's when I moved to New York mm-hmm. uh, and I started working for HBO. Mm-hmm. But it's been a mixture of things. So it's television, and then I went into fictional film, mm-hmm. and, and then documentary. So mm-hmm. I try and do all of those things mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like in the conversations we had about the rooms that you were in, mm-hmm. an interesting assumption that people make around who you are mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. until you reveal yourself yeah and then when you reveal yourself people then look and say oh mm-hmm. that's interesting i didn't expect you to be that way or expect you to have those thoughts yeah and do you feel like as you got more fully into your role in those rooms in the 90s or maybe even in the early 2000s mm-hmm. where there were times where you were revealing yourself in those rooms where people were like very surprised by what they saw? Well, at that point, you know, in the 90s and probably it probably wasn't until the, the 2000s that I really felt comfortable mm-hmm. in that. Mm-hmm. I was wearing the mask in the 90s in New York mm-hmm. trying to do the hustle. Yeah. One of the things, you know, I, I didn't talk about the men that I grew up with, mm-hmm. but the men who were in my life, they were, I wouldn't say hustlers from the sense of uh, nefarious activity. Mm. <laughs> I wouldn't quite I like say. I the activity. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it was more like they, they knew how to shape shift so that it'd be like one day almost cowering, talking to a police officer. Mm. The next day they were standing in their power sure. with, with other people, other women. So. Sure. So I also learned that expression, and I thought that as a means of survival, Mm -hmm. I had to fit in that way. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it was until, wow, I think it was gradual over time, but when I knew there was just no turning back was when I moved to Copenhagen. Really? Why yeah. was that? Why do you think that was? What was the difference? There was a it's, close... It's a super white place. It's yeah. a super white place. Like, the black folk who live in Copenhagen are typically from where? At, from America. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, so there's this tight African-American community in uh-huh. Copenhagen. Uh-huh. I mean, we take care of each other still mm. to this day. Uh-huh. When you go somewhere else and you realize that you got instant cool because of your people, the way your (laughs) people are seen, Mm -hmm. you know, in the world Mm -hmm. and they want to know about you, like, Mm -hmm. wow. Mm -hmm. I think that helped. But also it helped to a certain point. So everything is cool until you have to compete with people for resources. So when I go up against another Dane for a job, it's problematic. It's a problem. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I had to... I had to find my voice because it, I would have lost it. Mm-hmm. I would have lost that voice. Mm-hmm. I was not willing to shapeshift at yeah. that point. Yeah. And so uh, that it also let me know that it was time to come back home. Sure. Because I just need to be around. You know, I was the, the battery 
for that basic black. And so other African-Americans they would get that from me. Yeah. And so I there was nowhere for me to plug, plug in. into. Yeah. So I knew I had to go home. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I want to shift gears a little bit. It sounds like the group in Copenhagen of black folk who were there, these expats from America, mm-hmm. created an intimate bond. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I'm curious around how you are exploring right now in your 50s mm-hmm. intimacy like the inner workings mm-hmm. of intimacy and that's intimacy between friends intimacy whether it's with other women or with men that is platonic mm-hmm. also intimacy that is familial mm-hmm. or sexual mm-hmm. like what places do you find yourself in now mm-hmm. like i think we you know we we keep growing in our understanding and relationship to intimacy. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about like how you're exploring it or experiencing it right now. Mm-hmm. Well, it's for me, you know, let's, let's just go straight to sexual. You, you mentioned all That's the fine. other stuff. We can totally do that. I'm let's go there it. because I think, <laughs> I think it's an important conversation. It's so important. <laughs> it's so important. I really hope that hope we'll get from these Several conversations in the podcast, like, you know, we be fucking yes. over 50. We be fucking over 50, and it's great, and yes. it's scary, and yeah. it's delicious, and it's all these things. Right. right. Yeah. So they say that the sexual experience starts in the head. What I've had to contend with in my 50s is the ways in which I see myself. Mm. So that when I'm walking down the street and I pass the, the storefront, or a mirror, yeah. you know, and I look and I see basis. How is that going to impact right. how I see myself as a sexual being? Right, because you're looking at your mama in that reflection. I'm looking at my mama in that reflection. Yeah. And so it has been an intentional practice to find those ways in which I define yes. my own current level of sexuality. Yes. People want to put you in a box because you are at a certain age Mm -hmm. and and they want to believe that this is the way people like you typically show up in the world but we're not Mm -hmm. that kind of Mm -hmm. woman Mm -hmm. and so it has been it's been very challenging Mm -hmm. it's been very challenging for me to, to figure out that new representation of of my sexual being but I embrace it. Mm-hmm. I play with it. Mm-hmm. I try to normalize it so that I kind of talk about it mm-hmm. with everybody mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't hide anything because I can't compartmentalize it right. in a way that I used to do when right. I was younger. Right. Do my little sneak sneak on the side right, and right. then be another person out. Right. You know what I mean? I do. I do. I can't do that. I am a sexual being. Yeah. Yeah. And... I feel like there's also a certain level of, with the the physical changes, there's a certain level of kind of trying to find those places to combat Mm. things that have shifted. Mm -hmm. But I just picked up this idea and notion of doing it in a a way that's sexualized. In Mm. other words, Mm -hmm. you can take those not so great experiences of of your body changing and and growing old and going through menopause Mm -hmm. and make that into a game, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. 
And so, like I said, if you can trick yourself long enough, right. you'll actually believe it. Right. And I'm just getting to that point yeah. where I'm I'm starting to believe, oh my God, mm. I'm like sexual storm. <laughs> yes, you know, yeah. storm can move the, the winds and the trees. And That's the, right. You know what? Why can't I do that? You can. I can. You can. And it's, I am. It's interesting. I really love this sexual storm idea. I, um... I too have that those moments when I'm walking past the storefront, mm-hmm. or in the especially in the morning when I first get up mm-hmm. and I first rise and I'm looking in the mirror in the bathroom, about to brush my teeth and I'm looking at my mom in the mirror. Mm-hmm. I'm like I'm built like my mom. Mm-hmm. The gray hair is like my mom. Mm-hmm. These new menopausal boobies are like my mom. Mm-hmm. These menopausal boobs are really full. Mm-hmm. I don't know if people understand this. Like the, that's the, right. The redistributing of weight right <laughs> during menopause and postmenopause. You're like. These are menopausal titties. Exactly. Like, what do we do with menopausal right. titties? It's like, okay, well, do I still want to put these titties in somebody's mouth? I actually do. <laughs> and so, but like, if I'm looking at my mama, I'm like, I don't want to put my mama titty in somebody's exactly. mouth. Exactly. Right, right. So like, how do I like give myself permission each day to claim my body? Mm-hmm. Even as I look like my mom. Yeah. Even as you look like basis. Right. Even as you like... I see the reflection of my mother in my face, in my movements. But you're Lana. Mm-hmm. You're Lana. Yeah. And so, like, how you negotiate that with yourself. Change the thought. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. is a moment-by-moment moment choice, mm-hmm. and you got to change that thought. So, I may pick up a thought that'll say, ooh, girl, you're sexy. Mm-hmm. Or I'll have a, a conversation in my head about, wow, my mother probably was a beautiful sexual being mm-hmm. and and I know this to be true. Mm-hmm. Take my mom off the hook as well. Right. If I'm going to complain about, you know, people assuming that I'm a certain way yeah. because I'm at a certain, a certain age, yeah. why am I going to do that to my mom? You know, I think that there parts of these conversations that are not just for us, but are for our moms, our aunties, our mm-hmm. grandmothers, mm-hmm. right? Whether they're in the physical realm mm-hmm. or in the ancestral realm. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, you know what? I see you. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you're still getting to claim your story and your body. Yeah. And what intimacy and friendship and change looks like for you. Yeah. Yeah. We get to choose. Yeah. Yeah. We get to choose. Yeah, that's a powerful notion that we get to choose. Because I think society doesn't give us that message Mm -mm. ever. Mm -mm. That you get to choose as a black woman. That you get to choose as a black woman over a certain age. Mm -hmm. You just you just don't get to choose. You get told, yeah, this is you're too much or not enough, right? Or you're a problem. Yeah, it feels like a kiss. Or you're for public consumption, right? Aren't you a sassy black thing, right? Sassy black mama, sassy black girlfriend. Yeah. Oh, I just do that sass thing. Yeah. For us. Yeah. For public consumption. Right. And then we get to choose to be like, no, I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the other thing that is so important for, for me to tell young women is that, Mm -hmm. You know, to to use, you know, the Abraham Hicks uh, Mm -hmm. idea of the vortex Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to put you within your vortex in order to be your highest, best possible self. Absolutely. There's a way of thinking that you may not have physical evidence of that is good because it's good in and of itself. That's right. When you can be there. Yeah. The physical manifest. I feel like that is that resonates with me around 
Afrofuturism mm -hmm. around making a choice without the evidence. Right. I feel like that also reminds me of Toni Morrison's beloved Abedi Suggs mm. and the ring shout mm -hmm. and her inviting the women and the children and the men to laugh, to dance, and to clap mm -hmm. just because you're being. Yeah. Not because you have evidence of anything that's going to be possible outside of that moment. Right. But your existence mm -hmm. and making a choice to exist in that moment mm -hmm. is like critical to your healing. Yeah. And to like joy in uh, life. Hope is a strategy. Yes, hope is a strategy. Hope is a strategy. Yeah. When you talk about hope being a strategy, mm -hmm. I'm feeling like that's an important thing for me to hold on to and remember as I always negotiate my mortality. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think that being older, I've experienced people's transitions mm -hmm. and I also experienced like, my own mortality being presented to me in a real way that doesn't necessarily feel scary, but it does elicit an anxiousness around time mm -hmm. and what I have access to mm -hmm. in the moment mm -hmm. that makes me feel like, oh, I need to do it right now mm -hmm. because I won't have time, mm -hmm. which is not necessarily true. So I feel like hope maybe expands my my thought around the time I have mm -hmm. to explore myself, mm -hmm. uh, the time I have to be in community or the time I have to be creative. And I think hope maybe is a strategy that will help me negotiate some of that anxiousness. Right. Perhaps. Right. Um, because a part of it is um, in order to have that kind of hope, you have to trust. Mm -hmm. If if you didn't trust the conversation that you had with the creator or the ancestors before you manifested into this realm, mm -hmm. then you wouldn't trust that the things that was put on your heart for you to do mm -hmm. would not happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of is mm -hmm. built in to hope. You mm -hmm. have to trust. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's that's a necessary ingredient mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. I love that. So I'm sitting here looking at these beautiful little baby curls. You look like a little <laughs> girl today. Like I feel like... <laughs> I feel like it's it's kind of cloudy outside, and you've got these little sweet baby curls on your head. I feel like it's nap time. I don't know why. Oh my god! I know. I, like, I love naps. You love naps. I love naps. Yeah. Somebody said the other day that collective naps is like vintage intimacy. I was like, what? Okay. It's like, what are you talking? About? So it's like the idea of being in a space with all your cousins on a rainy day. Um, and it, because, you know, old folk feel some kind of very spiritual, sacred way about thunderstorms. Right. They shut shit down. Right. Every, lights go off. Oh, absolutely. Stuff gets Remember that growing up? Girl. It shut everything down. Everything. Get off the phone. Right. Turn the TV off. Unplug exactly. the TV. And go lay down. Right. Do you remember that? I remember that. And there's like this sweetness about the intertangling of cousin arms and legs yeah. and like laying head to foot yeah. and just like this deep, deep, sweet rest. Yeah. I don't know why looking at your curls today took me to that place, Wow! but there's a, there's a sweetness in these baby curls that I'm looking at on top of your head. That's making me think about, Oh, naps. Naps. <laughs> wow. Wow. And I could use a nap right now. <laughs> 
I really, really could. Yeah, yeah. I've been nursing a sick cat. Mm. My cat is sick. And so he's been struggling like all night long and I have to give him medication. Oh, bless his heart. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 But I, I know that you cut your hair mm-hmm. last year. Yeah. Right before the, was it right before the film festival? Uh, it was last December. So, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's been a little while. And yeah, I was yeah. wondering, when you look at yourself now, whether when you get up in the morning and look in the mirror, or when you're passing that storefront, when you're doing Pilates, mm-hmm. Zumba, mm-hmm. like, what do you see? That's a good question. I see my mother and my father. Mm. I see my mother and my father. I see a woman who was really, really trying to figure it out. I see a woman who's trying to figure it out while not doing harm to other people in the world. Mm. One of the pieces of heartbreak that I've had since returning from Denmark, Mm -hmm. I talked about that African-American community that was so... We were so tight because we had to be. Sure. And so, I mean, it, it extended to when somebody may have someone coming into the country and they couldn't go and pick them up from the airport. We'd be there. You'd be there. Yeah. You know, we would be there for holidays. Sure. We would just, we, we would walk around the lakes of Copenhagen every Sunday morning, have a brunch. Uh, I mean, we were there. And even to this day. Yeah. Um, I, when I go to Copenhagen, I stay with them. Some of them move back to the States. So mm-hmm. when I go to New York, I stay with them. Mm-hmm. Um, when I moved back to the States, I was alarmed at uh, the level of meanness mm. that Black women can have for each other. Mm-hmm. It's painful for me to even say those things because mm-hmm. I feel like black women are foundational. Mm-hmm. Black women aren't working it out. Mm-hmm. What is going to happen to the world? Mm-hmm. So that's been a little bit of a a shocker for me. Sure. And I'm trying not to label it in a particular kind of way. I feel like if I'm able to heal that observation within myself, mm. I'll be able to mm-hmm. affect change, mm-hmm. you know, amongst us. Mm. Um, so I'm very, very conscious of that. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've really, really, really am concerned about not inflicting pain to another human being, but particularly another black woman. Yeah, that really resonates with me. I used to say, and I've had, I've said in the last year, especially when I decided I was going to take this sabbatical from social justice work, is that I now understand why black women of a certain age smell so good, mm-hmm. look so good, and mm-hmm. are so goddamn mean. Mm-hmm. I feel like the world pulls that meanness out of you. Yeah. They prefer it. Yeah. In a way that we have to unlearn and untap from. It's like, you know what? I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be complicit in you pulling this meanness out of my body. Yeah. Yeah. And me being mean to myself. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the internal conversation I have to myself, my negative self talk that is so mean mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Where I have to say, who, who are you talking to? Yeah. Don't be mean to yourself like yeah. that. Don't yeah. do that. And also when I'm being mean, because I have been mean. Mm-hmm. My mean looks like nice, nasty. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Austin Sweet and Sour is for a reason. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's a reminder 
to watch my mouth because mm-hmm. I can pull that, that nice nasty out. Mm. And I've seen the impact on folk who were colleagues or associates. And I've also seen the impact on people who I love, yeah, who are my friends. And knowing that that meanness mm-hmm. came from or comes from a place of insecurity, mm-hmm. um, comes from a place of wanting to puff up and feel powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes from a place of being emotionally manipulative because if I actually make myself vulnerable mm-hmm. and experience a different level of intimacy, you might hurt me mm. or you might leave me. Mm-hmm. And so then I'm going to be mean, right. a little mean, right, right, but, right. In a, but in a black woman way. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, I'm going to still be in relationship with this sister because this, this, this sister got something. Yeah. But I'm also not going to rock with her too tough because she could be a little mean. Right. And I, I, I want to be more honest about that meanness yeah. and, and also explore where that meanness comes from yeah. and know it's not necessary. Yeah, like yeah. Like it's so unnecessary and it's hurting me. Right. And it's hurting the black woman I want to be in relationship with. So I think I feel really present to now in my early 50s, mm-hmm. not allowing whether it's society or other black folk or other black women to pull the mean out of me. Mm-hmm. Right. Like mm-hmm. if, I, I don't want it to be a passive kind of complicity. Mm-hmm. Where I'm just like, Oh, well, yes. Right. You bought it on yourself. Yeah. And here you go. Yeah. Like I feel like I actually do get to choose. Mm-hmm. I, get, I get to choose not to let that be pulled out. Mm-hmm. I get to choose to be fully present, to be like, you know, you're about to do some mean shit that is completely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And to take a moment to think, where is this coming from? Mm-hmm. Like, what's happening with you right now? Right. Only? Like, are you scared? Mm-hmm. You know, are you hurt? Mm-hmm. Um, you think that this relationship can only exist if you're a little mean to this person? Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. this a relationship that you really need to be in? Yeah. You know, and giving myself a moment to stop and be like, this is not necessary. I think meanness is one thing. Firmness is another. Right. Being firm, having clear boundaries. Absolutely. Being passionate about your boundaries. Right. It's fine. But you don't have to be mean right. in the process. I right. feel like I have been harmful or hurtful to people mm-hmm. on purpose mm-hmm. and it wasn't necessary. Yeah. Well, I I think the way I process it is I internalize. I'm not one of those people. I'm not quick enough to mm-hmm. be able to bounce back in the mm-hmm. moment. I'm mm-hmm. not one of those I wish I were sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I internalize it and then I go and I stew in that. Mm-hmm. And that's not healthy for me. Mm-hmm. I, you know, your organs get damaged from they that. They do. It, you know, so... And so, then it creates cancer. Absolutely. And autoimmune issues. Absolutely. Diabetes. My sweet Aunt Janet. You know, I, I saw my Aunt Janet um, when her husband had an affair on her she became very, very mean. Mm-hmm. And then she got cancer and mm-hmm. I lost my Aunt Janet. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget that. And mm-hmm. that was a that was a lesson for me. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that I think people get tripped up in is that you don't have to have it already figured out right. either. Right. You're gonna mess up. Right. However, being um a crone and messing up means that you get a chance to heal as much as yeah. as possible in the moment yeah. so you can go back mm-hmm. and heal right you can be in conversation and heal you can 
not be in conversation, just have distance, wishing people well right. and, and heal. Right. So right. it doesn't have to end in the thing that may have gone sour. And I think sometimes when we're younger, we think that it, we have to be perfect right. in all of those moments. And I don't think we do. No, we don't. That's a huge gift. So <clears throat> I want to transition us to a listener letter. You get okay. to answer a question mm-hmm. from our listeners. And what we're doing is we're asking people who listen to the podcast to offer a listener letter. Mm-hmm. Um, they get to share with us which phase they feel like they're in, whether it's the maid phase, the mother phase, mm-hmm. or the crone phase. Mm-hmm. And then they can offer a question that will be teased by one of our, our guests. Okay. So here is our most recent listener letter. It says, I am a 29-year-old queer black performer and a creative curator of stories from New York disrupting white spaces, patriarchy, and misogyny in the American South. I am in my mothering phase. How does being a crone impact your relationship to and the way you create art? Being a crone affects uh, my relationship to and the way in which I create art art in a way that it makes me have to ask the deeper questions. Mm -hmm. I remember getting a reading um, in New York in the early 90s from this fabulous woman by the name of Elaine Harris. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, with regards to my writing, you have to go deeper. Mm -hmm. And for many, many years, I think even decades, I didn't understand what she meant. Mm -hmm. I understand that now. Mm -hmm. One of the things, and it's so funny, I was watching the Kanye West interview on the new David Letterman show. Fascinating. Oh, my God. It was so fascinating. fascinating. Um, I did not think I was going to enjoy that conversation. I didn't think I I was going to enjoy it. I had so much judgment going into it, and I was thrown off. I was thrown off. But I had to sit with it because I'm like, wow, he really makes a lot of sense. And Uh and I felt like I can love and respect this man again. Mm -hmm. But something still wasn't sitting right with me. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, you're a crone. So one of the things about becoming a crone is that you you sit with things a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say intellectually, but uh, you think about things in a, in a different kind of way. So mm-hmm. I was like, I can appreciate him, but there is a word that I have for him. What is the word that I have for Kanye West? And mm-hmm. the thing that I would offer up to Kanye, mm-hmm. I appreciate his brilliance. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate his wisdom on certain matters. Mm-hmm. But part of his platform, part of the way in which he presents and the way in which he speaks is so super ego-driven. Mm-hmm. And it's about the eye. Mm-hmm. And Oh, it's totally about the eye. Mm-hmm. So there's no room for the humanity Mm. in that when you're just speaking from that egocentric place. Mm -hmm. But however, he inspired me to think about my art. Why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. What does it mean? Mm -hmm. And and I did that. Mm -hmm. And I sat and I sat. I was like, you know what? I know what my art means. Mm -hmm. My art is all about my fear that my people, meaning African-Americans who came to this country first as slaves, Mm -hmm. then as freed people, I am fighting against the extinction of my people and my culture. Mm -hmm. Not that black people 
aren't going to exist. Black people will continue to exist, mm -hmm. but the black people who have been able to survive in other places, mm -hmm. you know, my, my beautiful Nigerian brothers and sisters are coming over here and rocking the education yeah, system. They are. When I'm teaching in Uganda, they call me doctor. Why? Because they, they assume I have a PhD. Right. Because every other person right. in Uganda has a PhD. Right. You know, they yeah. are rocking this thing. Africans mm -hmm. from the motherland are just amazing. Mm -hmm. And so I fear, and I, I said this back in the 90s to my friend Kevin Powell, and Kevin was like, oh my God, yeah. Mm. And we both were talking about how we thought in 200 years, the people known as African-American may or may not be here for a number of reasons. So now I'm able to dial in on the things that I'm creating. So when I'm writing about gentrification in mm -hmm. my stories, it points to how you make a people extinct. When I'm point, when I'm yeah. pointing to land loss, yeah. it renders us very vulnerable. Right. So I, th I think it's very, very important for artists and creative folk to get to the heart of why they do what they do because right. it, it fuels your work. That's right. And if I look, it's showing up in everything that I do. Sure. But now that I know it's there, I approach it in a different way. So right. what am I doing now? Right. I'm researching the loss. Why is it that basic animals are, are leaving the planet? That's right. You know, rhinos yeah. and, and, and tigers. Yeah. I mean, things that were like, I mean, that was like the ABCs of animals That's as right. we were growing up. That's right. They're leaving the planet. Right. And what does that mean? Right. Uh, so that conversation and that research fuels my work mm. because I, I'm concerned about the African American mm. in 200 years. Mm, mm, mm. Well, I so appreciate that. I want to give you an opportunity to make your offering to the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. It is our intention to not just have this exist in an audio space, mm -hmm. but for there to be an actual guide mm -hmm. that will be birthed at some point in 2020 mm -hmm. that will present out to the world, here's some things, some offerings, mm -hmm. some words, some affirmations, some poems, some songs, mm -hmm. um, some teas, some tinctures that people can like flip through and touch with their hands. And mm -hmm. so what you offer today to the Black Girls Guide will actually be a part of that offering. So what would you like to offer, Lana? Wow, wow. I'd like to offer, you know, some of the things we already talked about. Mm -hmm. I wanna offer the idea of choice mm -hmm. and choosing. You can always choose. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to make sense to anybody but you. Mm -hmm. And I want to offer up hope as a strategy. Mm -hmm. And I want to offer up Chaka Khan's I'm a Woman, I'm a Backbone. Oh, come on. I am a creature bone to die. <laughs> you better pull Mama Chaka out. He's like, wait, what? You just Mama Chaka out? Oh, shit. Wait a minute. <laughs> You know what? I appreciate you because you know all my cultural references. <laughs> For sure. I need we, my crones around we me. We need our crones around. We need that generational footprint. And when you pull it out, you'd be like, 
I see you. I see you. I love that. I love that. So thank you so much for thank you. being with thank us today. You. Thank you for it. having me. Oh, it's, thank it's you for the series. I so needed it mm-hmm. and need it mm-hmm. because, you know, this is the physical manifestation of the choice I made in my head. Mm-hmm. Now it doesn't exist in my head. Right. You have this wonderful podcast to show that, wow, it really is a thing. It so, really is a thing. Thank you. No, I love you. Thank you. So I love you too. We hope you enjoyed this most recent episode of the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. We could not think of a better way to celebrate Leo season than with Leo Lana Garland. What a fantastic way to spend our day. We want to stay connected with you. You can follow us on social media. We're on Instagram at the Black Girl's Guide to Menopause. And we're also on Facebook as the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause. You can listen to us on several different platforms, Anchor, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Please share with your friends and family, subscribe, and give us reviews. That gives us feedback that's very necessary and it helps people find us as well. We also want to hear from you. So don't forget about the listener letters. You can send your listener letters to decolonizingthecrone at gmail.com. And in the subject line, put listener letter. We'd love to hear your questions and your thoughts about the podcast, questions that we can share with our guests and the people that we're interviewing. And we would also like to know what you would like to offer to the guide that we're putting together for 2020. So once again, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. And we look forward to seeing you again soon on the dark side of the moon.